the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left, Showtime A-Holes. Yes, welcome back to your favourite podcast designed for your earholes. And here we are still in the early stages of Phase 3, the last phase of In the Infinity Saga. Huh? Oh, how time flies when you're having fun. Did you just say what? You said we were in what, sorry? It's called the Infinity Saga. Have you guys explained this to me before? Maybe not. I don't think we have. They they designed three sagas all based on a comic book run called the Infinity Gauntlet or something like that. And um, it's called the Infinity Saga. And they pretty much said very early days that this was all going to culminate in something that we'll get to in a few months, I think. So this is the last phase that we're in now? Yes, before oh, shit. we hit a, hit a big reset, essentially. Yes. Oh, fuck. All right. Mm. <laughs> next time, but baby. We are a while. Yeah, there's a big next time, baby. Oh, okay. We're a while away from that. So, yeah, uh, before we jump back into the cosmos and spend some time with a ragtag, dysfunctional, socially awkward and music-loving freaks, uh, please allow me to introduce my fellow ragtag, dysfunctional, socially awkward and music-loving freaks, yeah. Robin Collin. Say hello, boys. Hello, hello. boys. Oh, I was going to say hello, oh. boys. We could have done that in unison. Though. <laughs> that would have been... Well done. It's worrying, though, that we're on that same sort of wavelength already. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. Oh. So because we're recording in some strange time loop, I was going to say tonight that maybe we could promote our own Colin Brain versus the MCU Guardian-style mixtape that we've popped on our Spotify but like I said, it's like recording in a fucking TARDIS. I never know quite know what's going on. So how about this, boys? I'm going to spring this upon you. Okay. For everyone listening at home, check the episode description below mm-hmm. and you'll find not only the link to volume one of our playlist, oh, we're doing but a volume two. Right. two that the boys are obviously now just finding out about. Are you up for it, boys? 100%. Yeah, man. I had a load yeah. left over from the last one. I can't believe you only gave us... Did we have five in the end? Was five. Five. Four, five. It's not enough, mate. It's just not enough. I had tons <laughs> to go through. That was whittled down. I changed that so many times, just trying to pick oh. that, f- that perfect five for everyone. As I've got about four it, listens as well. Didn't George say that he just picked random shit that he found on Spotify? Yeah, he didn't even know half the songs. He's like, oh, I heard that one nah, on Spotify. I thought nah, it was pretty cool. found most of them the night before. <laughs> oh, yeah. No effort. It killed me. Hey! Oh. <laughs> we'll we'll get to one of my choices from volume one later in this episode. Interesting. Uh so how are we both? Very hot, I'm assuming. Hot, We're recording sweaty. this in a heat wave, and last thing you want to do in a heat wave is record a podcast. In the words of Nelly, the great poet, oh, it's hot as balls in here. <laughs> uh, well I've um I just ran across the street because I've also realised um, well, I haven't just realised. I'm fucking knackered. Um, and I didn't have a chance to make a coffee. So I've just run across to the garage and I've got this can of a, a drink called Tenzing. It's not a sponsor, but, you know, if people want to send me one, do it. I've heard of, I've heard it's of like Tenzing. A, it's uh, like one of our very oh. close friends, Sam Giles, introduced me to a Tenzing. So shout out mm. to him for being a legend. Um, <laughs> and it's basically like a sort of 
It's it's called a natural energy drink. Probably still full of shit. I'm gonna kill it's me. Like, no, I think it's like a slightly healthier version of Red Bull. But I'm gonna neck it. Like I'm that. gonna just neck it now, to be honest, because I need it, some energy in so, one. Not in yeah. one. I mean, oh, it's not. I, know, right. I don't want like down it. Down it <laughs> this is good content. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so i might be a little bit buzzed because i haven't eaten a lot today either so i apologize if i if i kind of go off the rails a bit cheers cheers guys excuse me <laughs> well we're currently recording this on the opening weekend of another marvel movie so uh myself being a manager of a cinema i currently ache all over but colin you'll be pleased to know that this new release actually clocks in at under two hours wow so surely whenever we finally get to that movie that's going to be another star added on to your rating a, that'll be a breeze <laughs> mate that will <laughs> uh, but according to my calculations yeah you're not going to be seeing this until until 2023 so um Seriously. there's a lot yeah there's a lot to catch up i kind on of felt first, like i was it, it kind of felt like i was getting somewhere but the way you're talking is like it feels well, like there's you, so much to happen every time we feel like oh we're catching colin up like a new tv show comes out okay, or right. a new film and then suddenly it's like we're no we're nowhere near <laughs> like in my head for ages the end of phase three has always been like oh that's you know then we're caught up okay but there's been so much in phase four so I'm kind of like, mm, are the TV? No. So I know, I know we're already banging on a bit, but are the TV shows part of only when it gets to Phase Four? Do we have TV shows in Phase Three? No TV shows in Phase Three. Wow, like MCU ones. Obviously, there's been stuff like Daredevil. And oh yeah, the Netflix like that, ones, but, right? Yeah, but um, no, Phase Four is currently when the actual MCU shows huh. start. Um, but we all. Met up again uh, this weekend, didn't we? We all we went did. to watch a film in London. Oh, yes. And what a film. I was on... What a film. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, we talked about it in last week's episode. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Um, so I was on the London Underground on my way to meet up with you boys. And honestly, the, the amount of Marvel-related posters just set my anxiety off. Like, it's a miracle you are not spoiled daily. But... You did almost get spoiled watching UFC last weekend, didn't you? Oh, I did. Oh, shit. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I did, yeah. And also, like, when we met up to watch that film at, like, 11 a.m. in the morning, mm-hmm. I was, uh, I think I was running on about two hours sleep because like, there was a big UFC on. And obviously, because I'm UK-based and the times are for, for America, like, when I watch a pay-per-view like that, that ends. There was two title fights as well at the back end of it. So I think the actual event ended at like maybe 6 30 6 45 and then my alarm went off at nine to then jump on the tube and meet you um but yeah anyway i was i think it was i can't remember i was tired it was either before the co-main or before the main um because it's a big pay-per-view uh i guess they you know get the big advertisers want to put like a trailer or something right before the the last fight and i mean i don't know if it's happened in the past this is the first time i've ever noticed it (laughs) <laughs> but I'm sat there and then all I see flash up on the screen, like the screen goes blank, uh, black, sorry. And then um, I just see Thor just stood there with his arm out. <laughs> and the next shot I see is, a, I think, I, I can't really remember for certain, but it's like a, a hammer then like starts doing, you know, floating or, or, or flying towards his hand. And I just shat myself, mate. <laughs> I, in hindsight, it's utterly ridiculous. Like, what is this podcast doing to me? 
But uh, I was like, yeah, I put my head between my legs and I like shoved the, the cushions that I was sat on around my ears. Because <laughs> firstly, I just put my head down and then I could start hearing shit and people talking. I'm like, oh, fuck, this ain't good enough. So I'm like, I'm sat there at probably six o'clock in the morning with my head between my legs, two cushions, like sandwiching my face. And I'm just going... <laughs> what am I doing here? Like, what have these guys done to me? And then I had to do a similar thing in the cinema as well, didn't I? You did. So during the adverts for the actual film as well, there was this stupid little advert for something. I think it was like direct it line was direct insurance. Line, yeah. Some, oh my yeah. God. And then they had this new Marvel character present the advert in character. They must have been on screen half a second before, you know, I was just like, la, 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 la. Like, trying, yeah. trying to make noises to distract you. Everyone at the cinema. The Mexican. Just yeah. looking at us like we're freaks. Yeah. Colin just curls up in a ball again. I, I'll never get the image out of my head of Colin in a cinema at 11 o'clock in the morning, suddenly curling up into a ball, fingers in his ears, and then I hear him scream from in between his legs, this is ruining my life! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, man. All right, I know I haven't enjoyed all these films and I'm probably not making any friends in the Marvel, like, nerddom or whatever, but you've got to respect that. I mean, come on, that, that's a some dedication right there. That is, yeah, that is a commitment right there. Oh, I really struggled to um, concentrate on the first 10 minutes of the film because I was sitting there having some sort of existential crisis, just going like, have I ruined Colin's life? <laughs> Honestly, though, it is weird because I don't know if it's just maybe because you were heading dead central on the uh, Sunday. Hmm. But there's not a whole lot of Marvel posters around my area. It I don't, felt maybe, like every other Yeah, maybe it's just... Me. I mean, they, I'm sure they slam most of them central because that's where everyone's going. I mean... Hmm. Well, it was I also around the corner from something, weren't we? Yes, yep. So we all went for a little walk to get some lunch after the film as well. And it was only at that evening i realized i popped on twitter and found out about a free a 30 second walk 45 second walk around the corner from where we were they were filming something marvel related on the streets with some big actors on the street and that would have confused colin very much <laughs> you guys would have loved it though right oh yeah oh, yeah. oh for sure so uh, before we jump into the background of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and we will also discuss Rob's nickname, <laughs> I've made a little game. Oh, not no. a quiz, not Come a quiz, now. not a quiz. You know what to do, Colin. So it's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> no. It's going to be ten, <laughs> 10 questions. Okay. But true or false, you both get the same questions this time, but it's not on the MCU. It is what? on song titles. Oh, come on, man. I just want to get on with talking about this film. <laughs> I've got I'm so much list, to say. I'm I don't care about your shitty games. Ten song titles, <laughs> and you both have to tell me whether it's a real song title or one I've just made up. So what, we got get one each or what? It's the first nope. one to say it? it you just oh, okay. both we your pick answers and then you tell around us. Okay. the same time. Cool. So, we'll try and get this over and done with, Colin, but I thought there's lots of music, obviously, in um, these films. So, here we go. So, first song title, true or false, if this is a real song title, Jet Ski Jubilee. False. True. It is false. Honestly, Colin. Sorry. Call yourself Colin, a music producer. <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> Next song. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. True. <laughs> True. 
It is true. It is by John Denver. I was going to say, it's the song that your daughter sings most Christmases. (laughs) (laughs) She sings it to me every Christmas. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. True. False. Oh, it is true. It's a song by Dr. Randy Hanslick, and that is his real name, and he's a (laughs) real doctor. (laughs) Next, last, uh, last one, number four. Oh, great. The Robot with Human Hair, part five. True. True. It's false. I just made that up. Oh. (laughs) Next song, Dive Bar Dance Off. True. True. It's false again. I just made it up. You're wasted in your career. You should be (laughs) some kind of songwriter. Making song titles for people. Satan Gave Me a Taco. True. True. It's true. That's by Beck. It's free apiece. Dogs can grow beards all over. True. False. It is true. It's by a very heavy metal band, Devil Wears Prada. You're the reason our kids are so ugly. True. (laughs) False. It's true. It's by two country singers, Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty. (laughs) Turn the lights off. I'm watching Back to the Future. True. False. It's false. And, oh, last question. I want to find a woman that will hold my big toe until I have to go. True. (laughs) I hope it's true. It is true. It's by Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. Colin? Yeah. Six, Rob, five. I don't know if you noticed... I just said true to everyone because I didn't Did want to really? play your shitty game. <laughs> <laughs> and by default, you managed to figure out how to win. Well done. Thanks. Does man. he win a prize? Because no I still own Object to My Affection. Oh, yeah. Have you watched it yet? No, not yet. I'm saving it. Oh, man. We've got to do a bonus For what? on that one. For, yeah, a bonus. bonus episode. You're watching it too. Oh, oh, that's it. oh my yeah. God. That'd be, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> okay, before we move on, Rob, what's your nickname this week on Zoom? Yondoodoo course it is i had an alternate do you want to hear it i was really really Always. torn i want to hear it so my other one was gonna be michelle face because there's a character called taser face and taser blazer laser and michelle is a very deep cut <laughs> dodgeball <laughs> reference <laughs> that is a big deep cut reference. I'm very glad you went with Yon Doodoo. <laughs> they were my which options. Is not a sentence I ever thought I'd say. <laughs> At least we now we now know what level it can go to. Yes. Dodgeball references. <laughs> okay. I got a feeling today's gonna be a big one. So shall we jump back into things and you boys give me the floor so I can introduce Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 to both our lovely listeners and to yourself, Colin. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, you need me to say yeah as well. No, no, I, I lost my notes. Go for oh. it. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Um, we're ready. I'm going. So far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. So, as previously mentioned in our last Guardians of the Galaxy episode, 
there was a Guardian script floating around Marvel Studios by uh, Nicole Perlman um, that James Gunn, he sort of heavily adapted and changed around, but there was enough of its original structure in there for Perlman to still get a credit for the script. This time around, James Gunn, also thanks to the massive success of the first movie, had complete freedom to do whatever he wanted with the sequel. He was given a massive budget of $200 million, which is insane. But he decided instead of going bigger, he wanted the film to feel a little more intimate. Yes, they're still, you know, saving the galaxy at the end, but he almost wanted the film to have like a hangout sense to it where we're just spending time with our characters interacting with each other and where character was just as important as plot. Uh, So within one month of the first Guardians being released, James Gunn started work on the screenplay. His first draft included a character um, known by comic book fans as Adam Warlock. But obviously he never made it to the screen. Gunn was very, very open about that original draft, and he said, I love Adam Warlock. He's one of my favourite characters in Marvel. And in all truth, I wrote an early treatment where I had Adam Warlock a part of the film. He was a big part of the screenplay, and I realised it was just one character too many. I adored the character. I adored what we did with him. I think we did something really creative and unique with Adam Warlock. But it was one character too many, and I didn't want to lose Mantis, and Mantis was more organically part of the movie anyway. So I decided to save him for later. So I think it's clear to all MCU fans that Peter Quill's dad was going to be in this sequel, as it's heavily hinted at during the closing sequences of the first film. So Marvel and Gunn were very open, yet again, that casting had begun on some new characters, including... Ego, who would obviously be Quill's father, and his parentage would was going to be revealed right away at the beginning of the film. No big like Darth Vader style twist. Um, relative newcomer Pom Clementiev was also cast in the very early stages of the film's development as Mantis. But James Gunn and Kevin Feige wanted a big name for Ego. They were willing to pay the big bucks for whoever was going to get this role. So as casting began, Christopher Nolan had just released Interstellar and James Gunn was very impressed by Matthew McConaughey's performance. So Marvel approached him and they offered him the role of Ego. However, at the exact same time, he was also offered the villain role in a film called The Dark Tower, based on a very popular series of Stephen King novels. In a very, very, very bad move, Um, McConaughey actually passed on Guardians 2 and signed on for The Dark Tower, which, Rob, have you seen it? I've not, but I've heard it's not all right, all right, all right. It is awful. (laughs) It's so bad. And so then uh, Kevin Feige and um, James Gunn took a Mr. Kurt Russell out for dinner and you know explained the character of ego uh, they gave him a very detailed 70 page treatment of the film and of course kurt russell said yes so whilst writing the first film james gunn said that he knew ego was going to be quill's father and he knew he was going to be a villain in a future film if he was lucky enough to make another one he didn't actually tell that to kevin feige though it wasn't until the first film was actually released when kevin feige approached gunn and was like you've set up the father who is it and when gunn replied saying it was a character called ego the living planet 
Kevin Feige had a near panic attack trying to figure out how the hell they were going to adapt this character. Because in the comic books, he is literally a planet with a face on it. He also knew, uh, James Gunn, that writing the first movie, that it was also Ego that killed Meredith Quill. So, you know, during the opening of the first film, while she's on her deathbed, I think she mentions Peter's dad being made of pure light. Um, that was James Gunn's way of hinting that there was a lot more to be explored about um, Peter's parentage. But Gunn also found that the reception and the success of Volume 1 inspired the script in many ways that he didn't expect. He recently had this to say about it. Chris Pratt and I early on were t- discussing what we could do with the second movie. And I think that in the wake of the first movie, both of us experienced this tremendous lift in our egos, where we went from like Chris Pratt being the chubby supporting actor on a sitcom. I was just a guy directing cult, low budget movies. And suddenly after that, I could direct any movie I wanted to, and he could star in any movie he wanted to. So I really think that the movie, in a lot of ways, is about us and our relationship to our own ego and to not be destroyed by it and allowing ourselves to still be ourselves and stay who we were before we started making the movie. That's really, to me, the personal story of volume two. For me, it was about ego taking over everything. And so... A, a, a very drama-free shoot, as always, um, with Mr. James Gunn. Uh, <clears throat> Guardians 2 opened on May 5th, 2017, <clears throat> to an incredible $146 million opening weekend. It made $863 million worldwide. The original made 773 so just under $100 million more than the first movie, which was already an incredibly successful movie. The first film was a massive critical success. Now, you might be surprised to know this, Colin, or you might not be, depending on what you thought of the film. The second one received quite a mixed critical reaction. Mm. Some critics hailed it much better than the first one and possibly one of Marvel's very best movies. There was also some critics that said it was a bit of a mess. But what James Gunn did he refused to stick to the formula that he presented in the first film. He wanted to make a film that at its core was still a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but was also a film that felt different from the first and maybe even take some risks narratively. So speaking of it slightly dividing the crowd, it's time for the big question. Colin, what mm-hmm. did you think? Okay. Wow. This is a bit this is a big one for me. Okay. Um, it's probably a big moment for the podcast as well because I was watching the film today mm-hmm. and this is the first time that I feel like I might be getting into these a bit. But hold on, hold on there because <laughs> Goosebumps. That, yep. that comes with an asterisk which we'll, we'll definitely get into throughout this episode. Yes. L- literally, like, I would say 10, 15 minutes into this, maybe 20 minutes, I had my phone in my hand and I was about to message the group chat saying, mm-hmm. and this is for the hardcores, this is from episode one. We're going to throw back here. <laughs> I was about to message you boys going, I might be eating those words today. And if you, you know what that's a reference to. Whoa. But then, <laughs> I thought the film turned into a fucking mess. <gasps> and then it just completely like, I was, I was up there. I was like, I'm in. <sighs> This is it. Uh-huh. Like I, I was feeling like I have not, 
Like, honestly, I think the opening credits sequence to this film is probably one of the best. It's the best in the MCU, for sure. Right, right. Like, yeah. that shit got me... Got, it got me feeling exactly how I felt at the end of the first one, which was like, this mm-hmm. is fucking amazing. If I was a kid in the cinema watching this, it would be my favourite film of all time. And I thought they did such a good way of just pulling you straight back in there yeah. at, from, from that first scene. It was like when you go and meet up with a friend, one of your closest friends, you haven't seen him for a year or two. Yeah. It's, it's like you've never been apart. That's what mm-hmm. it felt like. And I was like, holy shit, I'm actually getting into these films, which for me is, is big. Let's big. be real, it's big. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and then... Just where it went, man. Like, oh. I was I was gutted by the end of it. Oh. I was so gutted. But I'm excited to talk to you about it because at least I'm like, it's a positive, right? Because like, at least I'm starting to feel a bit more like There's... I actually care enough about these films to even have some sort of like emotional response to yeah, it. Yeah, yes. I'll give you that. I, I'm, just, I'm just gutted because I text Rob a couple of hours ago because you <laughs> messaged us as well being like, boys, I can't, I, we need to talk tonight. And I immediately messaged Rob and I was like, we're getting to five. We're getting now, five. I mean, it's pro- I'm probably going a bit too hard saying it turned into a mess. I think there was so many moments of this that I loved, but I just feel like the overall story, like the main plot and all of that stuff just really didn't, mm-hmm. it really didn't work for me. But like, so it, to say it was a mess, like I still enjoyed the film and there was even moments right at the end of the film that I was still really enjoying. Mm-hmm. I think one thing I've realised from this one is like, to me, Guardians of the Galaxy, like that crew... They're the they're they're the ones for me. Like yeah. they 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 overtake the majority of everyone else in the MCU for sure. Nice. Like just number one, Star Lord, Ledge. Like he's up there. <laughs> he's probably my favourite to be honest. Yeah. I mean, he he could do with a better helmet. Like a, that's right. not not the best suit in the world. He deserves a better suit. I think. We, can you get onto Feige about this? <laughs> yeah, he listens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bet he does. <laughs> uh, Rob, how was the rewatch for you? Well, let me just uh. I'm not one to blow my own trumpet. <laughs> you know this. But... Audio commentary facts. It's the first time I listened to it in the commentary. It was done by James Gunn. Again, just a delight to listen to. He's um, He sort of talks about emotional influences, his visual influences. He gets technical at times. It's a very, very good commentary. Nice. Mm. I, I love this. We'll, we'll get into this film. Good. I've always enjoyed this film. Um, and like I said earlier, I think it could have been very easy for James Gunn to repeat the formula uh, of the first one. And But with this one, you know, whilst it maintains the sort of tone of volume one, it does feel different. I think it feels a little bit more personal, uh, especially like, you know, the moments towards the end, some of the final moments really hit with me with... Um, with Yondu and there's a couple of moments with Rocket as well I think are really lovely I think the journey Rocket takes in this movie is incredibly moving um I'm sure we'll get to it but uh yeah um I will get into it there's lots more I could say right now but um to me this is a very special film um but it's a special film with lots of jokes about poo so it's definitely a James Gunn movie (laughs) so um shall we do our deep dive let's do this so we open in Missouri in 1980 as Meredith Quill is seen driving with an unnamed oh, man. Sorry, George. She looks... Sorry. Yep. Can you hear that on the mic? Okay. Oh. <laughs> God, I actually fell for it. Audio commentary facts. The film opens in Missouri. As James Gunn states, he actually hailed from Missouri um, and wanted his birthplace to be the, 
the birthplace of Peter Quill, as he relates to the character a fair bit. Um, the number plate on uh, Ego's car, I'm guessing it's Ego's car, is also the same as uh, James Gunn's first car. Oh. Nice. Okay, nice very touch. nice. Meredith Quill looks happy and in love. Sorry, George. It's okay. I can, no, I can, he I takes can hear her... something again. Oh, another one. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> nah. <laughs> he takes her into a forest to show her some form of growing plant in the ground. He expressed that he's been worried that it wouldn't take to the ground, but soon it will be everywhere. They embrace and kiss again. So we have another flashback scene to open our Guardians film, much like volume one. And I think we really have to talk about the, this de-aging CGI that Marvel are doing right now. So, so previously so far, we've seen them do it in films like Ant-Man and I think Civil War. But this is the best I think it's ever looked so far. Colin, in regards mm. to Guardians 2, is there anything you knew about this film beforehand? Did you know Kurt Russell was going to be in it, for example? No, I, I knew zero going in. Mm. So very. I was quite surprised. Surprised to see him. Good. Very, very, very and surprised. In this opening as well, we have our first song of the soundtrack too. We open with uh, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl from Looking Glass. I love that with this Guardians film, it felt like people were anticipating the soundtrack as much as the film. Do all these needle drops add to the film or are they just distracting? What do you think, Colin? No, I don't think I don't think they're distracting. Um, it's an element of the film that I'm really into, actually. Hmm. Rob, is it all too self-indulgent or is the film better for it, having so many musical sequences? I think it's better for it. And also, talking of Brandy by Looking Glass, hmm. the fact that they tie that into the narrative and it becomes a plot point and also an emotional yeah. sort of moment for both Peter and Ego, hmm. and also has that connection to his mother at the same time as the lyrics being sort of symbolic. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. But also, Mr. Blue Sky is my favourite song of all time. <laughs> nice. So when this film opened with it, I was I was in. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, in 2014, Peter Quill, Gamora, Drax, Rocket and Baby Groot are renowned as the Guardians of the Galaxy. Aisha, the leader of the sovereign race, has the Guardians protect valuable batteries from Abelisk, an interdimensional monster, in exchange for Gamora's estranged sister, Nebula, who was caught attempting to steal the batteries. And Colin, you've mentioned this scene already, where we're finally reintroduced to our heroes. So what did you think to this opening fight sequence? You said you loved it. I loved everything about it, mate. (laughs) Everything. It was just, it was done perfectly it introduces or reintroduced us to all the characters it reminded us why we fell in love with them in the first film mm-hmm. uh baby Groot, legend because i remember i know i know end of volume <laughs> one you were like it better not be baby Groot in volume two i know I, i'll eat those words mate That's but fine. i'll admit when i'm wrong i'll admit when i'm wrong i always will do that and uh totally wrong here they made that motherfucker the cutest thing i've ever seen and i was in from the get-go simple as that i mean hats off to whoever designed that that little thing because yeah oh so many good moments with group man so many good moments that whole thing like i said man i was like mm-hmm. and and you know me mate like rob knows me he's getting to know me but you know me really well george mm-hmm. How many times do I ever say like I get like that over a film? I mean, let's be real. It's been a long, long time since I ever even... So like, 
Yeah, I was in, mate. In. I'm I'm half happy. You should be happy because those moments, like, are enough for me to still be excited about the rest of the franchise. Like, just because I might not have liked the direction that the film went in and mm-hmm. I've got issues with it, it is actually a good thing that I kind of care enough about it to even yep. have those moments, if you know what I'm saying. Cool. So it's a, it's a positive. It really is a positive. Okay, I'm on board. Um, yeah, Rob, I mean, you'd have to be heartless not to smile the entire way through this opening sequence, right? It's the, the best thing ever. Mr. Blue Sky <laughs> is my happy song when I'm having a real crap day or a really great day. Mr. Blue Sky just sort of fixes it, mm-hmm. either makes it happier or just removes all the negative stuff. It is the best song. I love it. Mm-hmm. So when this come on in the cinema and he's doing that dance... And it's all in one shot, and we're seeing how all of the you know the actions in the background, yeah, and all the guardians for how they react to Groot now that there's a baby version of him, yeah, just so good, so fun. Love it. Like Colin said, I love the moment, the small little moment of like Rocket flying up to Groot sort of mid battle because Groot's found some sort of little insect, and Rocket's like yeah. patting him on the back, being like, "Spit it out!" <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So oh, also, good. you can't not talk about when when Drax is inside that. Oh, that's <laughs> literally just... my next thing to talk about. In that oh, one man, shot that of good. him inside the thing, just ah, <laughs> just slicing away, and his head emerging in a weird yeah. sort of vaginal Ace Ventura yeah, yeah, yeah. style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I also love um, Drax freezing or um, group freezing when Drax sees mm-hmm. him mid-fight. Yeah. And then carries on his dance afterwards. It's amazing. So good. And even just after the battle, there's an incredible Drax moment. And it's so small and so stupid, but I love it. Um, the, the monster's been vanquished and Drax asks Peter Quill what the batteries are called. And Quill goes, um, oh, they're called Anulax batteries. And Drax sort of nods his head and goes, Harbulary batteries. And like, I just, what, Quill's like, that's not what I just said. <laughs> I, I love that Drax is always on planet tracks and yeah yeah, like you said colin it's right from the get-go and as soon as the the beat kicks in to mr blue sky you it kind of freeze frames for a little bit um Mm -hmm. on on group dancing it's it's wonderful and uh, rob surely james gunn mentioned this in the commentary but it was james gunn that choreographed all of rockets moves and dance moves yeah all all of groups dancing the motion capture was based on james gunn dancing around a a room like a madman (laughs) (laughs) nice so um after rocket steals the batteries for himself the sovereign attacks the guardian's ship with a fleet of drones a mysterious figure destroys the drones and the guardians crash land on a nearby planet there this figure reveals himself as quill's father ego and invites quill gamora and drax to his home planet rocket and groot remain behind to repair the ship and guard nebula so we'll get on to Ego shortly. So, Colin, I guess this is quite a big question for you. You've already mentioned things about, like, um, Quill and Baby Groot and stuff like this. Mm. Um, so, like, how were the rest of the Guardians for you uh, in this film? Did you come to love any characters anymore? Did any of them go down in the rankings, so to speak? I think they all they all probably went up a notch or two, to be honest. I think... Let me have a... Reel them off to me, and I'll give you my um. Okay, so we'll small, start off, like just very short opinion. We'll start off with Star Lord. Then you've said Ledge already. Yeah, Ledge. I mean, this was a tough one, and it, it's sort of how I feel about the whole film. 
I realized that Star-Lord is probably my favorite character out of the entire MCU watching this. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like his role in the film wasn't quite what I would have personally liked to have seen. Mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit too much. Like, this is sort of a su- summary of how I felt about the film, really. I think there was just a little bit too much of, like, the the scenes between him and, and, and Ego, and it, it felt like it was drawn out for a long while. And don't get me wrong, the acting, everything about that was cool. Mm. Like, Kurt Russell's the man, you know. He, um, but, yeah, it just felt like eh, there wasn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't right for me. I, I yeah. don't know why. Okay. It just wasn't. Interesting. We kind of already mentioned Baby Groot. What about Drax then throughout the film? Yeah, Drax is cool. I mean, I think if if you were to criticise, maybe you'd say he didn't have the biggest amount of character development out of a lot of them. Yeah. But I think, I mean, he, the guys, he did. He had some bigger scenes, maybe some longer dialogue scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave Bautista is like a legit actor. Like, you know. A, I, I, a comedy genius i'd yeah, say his yeah, comedic exactly. timing is yeah, unreal yeah um so yeah the, they kind of up the funny for him which mm-hmm. i loved they did but other than that you didn't get a whole load you know you got a lot more development in like rocket and mm-hmm. and yondu would yondu be classed as a guardians of the galaxy ish oh, on I the s- edge maybe i'd say only by the end of the film but we'll yeah, get to yondu soon sure and then Ma- mantis was cool i don't we shall know, get on to mantis yeah, 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 as yeah. well so um you've already mentioned rocket so rocket is dare i say a bit of a dick in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So um, how was he for you in this? Still likeable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, he was a bit of a dick, but you saw those moments where, I th- I can't remember who, it- was it between him and Yondu later mm. on in the film, where they kind of realised that you see the facade of Rocket slip away and you see that the reason he's doing it is because he's, you know, very traumatized from his upbringing and, and mm-hmm. it was all coming from a place where he probably just needs a hug from everyone and he'll feel better do you know what i'd I'm say so too for sure yeah. and then like you just said what about we'll end on gamora oh yeah gamora was cool um let's have a think gamora yeah i mean the whole sister thing was like the sort of subplot weren't it for yeah they get um, their own sort of arc and subplot. yeah and i th- yeah that's kind of what this film felt like it felt like it got to the point that you're talking about now and then it kind of split off into like three separate plots mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, I just wanted to see the crew go and do their thing for a couple of hours. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. the plots were cool. It felt like it was, I don't know, it felt very TV show to me. It felt like this film could have been like a six-part TV show and mm-hmm. and it could have been like longer and a lot more. And, and if it had been done that way, it kind of felt like they were trying to compress that into a movie. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Rob, does this cast deliver upon the promise that the first film left us with? Are any cast members maybe beginning to show any rust on their grinds or is everyone still giving their all? <laughs> is that actually becoming a thing? It's I a think thing. it is. He's okay. embracing it. I agree that I think Drax gets the... He does get some growth. He does get some nice... He gets one of my favourite moments in the film. But I think he does... They do lean on him being funny. Mm. And I don't necessarily know if that's the best thing. I, I still enjoy him, but I think, uh, yeah, maybe they did that a bit too much. I don't know. If that, I'm sort of real nitpicking here. Hmm. But in terms of everyone else, yeah, I love it. I think everyone is developed and and matured from the first the first film. Yep. Characters mm-hmm. that you thought were just base villains, like Nebula, for example, get given a lot more depth and a lot more mm. nuance to them. So the film's great at doing that. In terms of character, it is, you know, top tier. Good. I agree. 
Completely. I think every, everyone gets to do a little bit more than what they did in the first film here. Um, we'll get into some of the specific plot um, arcs very, very soon. But uh, yeah, I think um, James Gunn has done a fantastic job here. So meanwhile, Aisha hires Yondu and his crew who have been exiled from the Ravager community for child trafficking to recapture the Guardians. They capture Rocket, but when Yondu hesitates to turn over Quill, whom he raised, his assistant Craglin questions his objectivity and his lieutenant Taserface leads a mutiny with help from Nebula. So, Colin, you've already very much said it. This film very much has an A plot, a B plot, and you maybe could even say a C plot. And I think that is, again, one of the reasons why this film did receive quite a mixed reaction when it came out. So um, you've already said you would have preferred the team to to stay together in this one. Was there any one plot that kind of stood out to you? Was there one plot that didn't work? Annoyingly, I didn't really vibe with the, the star Lord and the ego plot. Mm. I was kind of in for a bit. Huh? I like the scene when, when they make the ball and they're throwing the ball. Each other. That was a really nice thing. But the whole time you are thinking, this guy's going to fuck him over. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're thinking that, but you're kind of like semi enjoying it. You're kind of going like, they did a good job of, of, of making those. Um, Kurt Russell did a really good job of like selling the, Oh, I really am your dad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, well, not, I'm really am your dad, but I'm, you know, this is all for the right reasons. Or the other. I wasn't quite, I wasn't very keen on the room that they were in and he was showing them the demonstrations. Oh, okay. Of, you know, kind of felt a bit like you were in a, like a, the Natural History Museum, and I don't know, it just there was a bit too much of that going on. I know there had to be a lot of like exhibit uh, exposition. Is that the term that you guys well, use? It's a museum yeah. exhibitions, probably right. Yeah, exhibition. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, there felt like there was a lot of that, obviously coming from Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. and and then when when it, oh, yeah, that kind of just fell apart for me towards the end with the. Oh, I mean, we'll get into all of that. We sure the other will. plots, yeah, the, the the other ones I probably were into a bit more, like a. But yeah, we'll get into it. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Rob, all these separate um, plots, does it harm the structure of the film at all? Um, or does it all work pretty cohesively? I can definitely see why people wouldn't gel with it. Especially when you're sort of got, you, you're expecting that formula that the first one, even us who have seen it before, mm-hmm. was definitely expecting something more like the first film. Yeah. I could definitely see why people have issues with it, but it's never been something that's bothered me. I'll mm-hmm. be honest. Them all separating just sort of showed that things weren't all wrapped up, you know, nice and neat at the end of the last film, that they still have a lot of shit going on. And you've yeah. got that moment where, yeah, with the great needle drop of um, Fleetwood Mac's The Chain, oh, and, yeah. um, you know, Peter turning to rocket and being like what's your goal here to get everyone to hate you because it's working mm-hmm. and just you can see there's these sort of all these dysfunctions they still need to work through and obviously yeah. not to sell up in diesel in another franchise but that is what family is all about <laughs> it was very much that again <laughs> i think you I, I mean i i really don't have an issue with the different threads i think they all work mm. great i like spending time with the characters regardless so of course yes it'd be nice to see them all together but i i, I like what we got mm. i i make 
you know, I, it's very clear that I'm a massive, massive fan of this film. I adore this film so much. I will say that the plot with Taserface, there's a couple of scenes <laughs> where we deal with him where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I find this either enjoyable or funny or maybe it doesn't quite work for me. But that is literally maybe the only sort of grumbles I have with the film is a couple of scenes around there. Taser face, but let's talk <laughs> Yondu. Um, he gets Yondu gets a lot more to do in this film. So, Colin, was James Gunn right to bring essentially this secondary character to the forefront, or would you have preferred, like you said, for this film to focus more on our core group of heroes instead of Yondu? Um, I actually really enjoyed what they did with Yondu's character in this. Mm. I it was probably one of the highlights of the film which then really frustrated me when when they killed him off at the end. They did. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I'm not being funny. Vision's still alive in this. Like, what are we <laughs> you doing? You and Vision. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, look, I'm, I'm all about killing off characters in, in film and TV shows. Go ahead. But let's get rid of some of the boring ones before we start killing... Like, Yondu, man, how cool is he with his the arrow and the whistling? Like... <laughs> That shit was great. Cool. Like, I want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, oh, we, we, you know, we'll hype this dude up and then we'll just kill him off in front of you at the end of the film. <laughs> and meanwhile, Vision's doing a fucking crossword somewhere, being a boring bastard. He's like, I'll be popping back up again, won't I? Let's start getting rid of some of these borers, man. Oh, I love it. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Good. Um, so, wow, Rob, how was uh, Michael Rooker for you in this? And um, much like I think Colin, um, are you sad to see him go? I am sad to see his go- see him go, but I also think what would the film the end of the film? I can't fathom to think what it would have been had you know Yondu flying up to the flown up to the ship with Peter, and mm-hmm. they all just sort of sat around the table going, "We're the Guardians <laughs> now." Yeah, <laughs> the Ravagers still hate me, <laughs> and I don't, I don't think I think you needed that for Rocket to realise his thing. Yeah. And for all those other arcs regarding family, mm-hmm. you know, including Nebula and Gomorrah, for all those things to slot into place. And it's a shame, because Yondu is the man. He is. He's Mary oh, yeah. Poppins, y'all. He's Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> he's Mary Poppins cool. <laughs> Hell yeah, he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We'll definitely get onto that. Yeah, I I think Michael Rooker is brilliant and there's there's so much he does that's nuanced in it as well when we first see him and he's just you know clearly been having it off with some sex bot (laughs) and he's just looking out the window and it's like he's clearly not a happy man yeah just this vulnerable lonely mess Mm-hmm. Yeah, that place looked really interesting where they were at. Yeah. yeah. Howard the Fuck was there. That Howard the Duck yeah, was there. Yeah, I did pick up on that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Taserface imprisons Rocket and Yondu aboard the latter's ship and executes his loyalists by releasing them into the vacuum of space. Nebula leaves to find and kill Gamora, whom she blames for the torture inflicted on her by their adoptive father, Thanos. While imprisoned... Rocket and Yondu bond. Groot and Kraglin, the latter having never intended to start the mutiny, free Rocket and Yondu, and they use Yondu's arrow to destroy the ship and its crew as they escape. But Taserface warns the Sovereign before dying. So, Colin, 
we've already mentioned her, but yet another character is brought in from the sidelines and given a hell of a lot more to do, and this time Gamora's sister, Nebula. So Mm. did James Gunn overstuff this film with too many plots and characters? Were you invested in sort of Nebula's journey, her arc in this film? Because, you know, he definitely gives, in my opinion, quite a strong arc in that arc being, you know, her very complicated relationship with uh, with Gamora. Yeah, no, I've, I I enjoyed this plotline mainly because I think the the main thing to take away from it is that you got a little bit more of an idea of just how crazy this Thanos guy is, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. you start to hear about like what he did, well, to to those guys when they were brought up, and um, so like that that was a cool point from that. Like it, it's good to finally start being told a little bit more about Thanos and how powerful he is because up until this point, mm-hmm. I've seen him floating around on, in the sky on a chair and on the wall, yeah. you know, like yeah. being spoken to by someone. So that was a cool thing. Um, I, I like the fact that the rivalry was oh no, sorry, not the rivalry, but when when they had their moments of like one versus another one on one. Yeah, I liked how like I mean it's again Rob has mentioned it a lot is that it's all family-based stuff going on here and the different relationships and the dysfunctions between siblings and stuff like that. And I think the way those two attacked each other mm-hmm. was a really good represent- uh, representation of that on screen. Yeah. Because it was very like aggressive, visceral. Like when she goes smashing into the cave, they're just she's just going for it, man. <laughs> yeah. like, she's not thinking about anything. And then the other one's got that giant like yeah, gun that's same. fallen off. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's just all out rage coming out in those moments. And I did enjoy that. Yeah. I enjoyed that part. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're certainly uh, very damaged based on what Thanos yeah. has done to them. Yeah, for sure. And um, are you looking forward to seeing Nebula again? Do you think she's going to pop up again? I mean, I'm, I'm, this is another thing that I felt throughout this film. It's like, what's going on in this franchise at the moment? Like... I'm really struggling to like f- to to envision a point where all of this starts to make sense together, where it's all going to culminate in. Together. Yeah, because because to me this, I mean, and obviously I don't know, but this film kind of felt like a bit of a filler. It was like a bit of character development, but I'm not really too sure how much of any of this is going to actually trickle on. We didn't get anything to do with the the friggin' stones that they're finding, which we had a bit of that in the first one. Mm-hmm. We've kind of figured out a few things. But I don't know, it just didn't really feel like there was enough. So I don't know, I'm I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of these guys, but I have no idea when and where. Interesting. You guys can't be smiling like that the whole time. Do you realize how annoying this is? <laughs> I know, I know. So like, honestly, I want to catch up with you guys so I don't have to have this, You've not got these moments where I'm talking care. about a film and you two are just like <laughs> smiling from ear to ear. Like, I don't know if I'm talking completely out of my ass or if I'm like onto something. Who knows? You're not going to tell me either way. Next time, baby. <laughs> uh, so Rob, in my opinion, I, I think Karen Gillan personally for me struggled with some of the material in volume one i remember the first time i saw guardians volume one and i I, as much as i'm a fan of karen gillen i maybe thought that she was miscast but i did change my opinion for volume two Mm. how was she in volume two for you i think she's great i mean you know me i'm a massive doctor who fan as well Mm -hmm. and um yeah i rate karen gillen quite high she's brilliant but um Especially in this film, I think it does a good thing of sort of making you look at her and Gamora. And the whole first film, you're like, you forget that Gamora's a villain as well. You know, she's sent on a mission to get the stone for Thanos just as much as Nebula is. But this film does a great thing of sort of making you realise, okay, Gamora 
effectively defeated her sister all these times, mm-hmm. knowing what that would mean for her. Yeah. So it paints her in a different light and also paints Nebula in a different light that just works. Mm-hmm. It, it, like Colin said, and it also, I, I agree with you. I think the first film, everything she's saying, you kind of, she's saying through gritted teeth and it can mm-hmm. feel a bit hammy. I'll ham. <laughs> I'll get the old pig sounds back out for that. Dig them out, Colin. <laughs> yeah, I'll get them out. But yeah, in this, this, this film, it sort of has that context of knowing her past more and it feels more like just being yeah, in agony and, and sort yeah. of everything is like pushing through the trauma to say anything, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, she's fantastic in it. Yeah, and I agree. I also think the writing for her is a lot stronger. You know, instead of just being Thanos's angry daughter, which is quite one-dimensional, we get to delve a lot deeper into what kind of what makes Nebula tick here. So, like we've already mentioned, we learn about her trauma. We now at least sort of understand why she has this hatred for um, Gamora as well. And these Guardians films, they're, they're all about family, essentially, aren't they? You know, they're all about, you know, just how important maybe love and respect is in your families, whether, you know, they're the family you're born with or, you know, the family you're, you're given. Yeah, I like her a lot in this. Uh, she's still Thanos' angry daughter at the end, but at least this time we can at least empathize. There's that great line when they are fighting and that scene that Colin mentioned, which I'm sure we'll get to. But she says, you wanted to win and I wanted a sister. Just, <laughs> that's a great line. And she yep. she nails it, yeah. Love it. So, Ego, a god-like celestial that manipulated the matter around its consciousness to form his home planet, mm. explains that he projected a humanoid guise to travel the universe and discover a purpose, eventually falling in love with Quill's mother, Meredith. Ego hired Yondu to collect the young Quill after Meredith's death, but the boy was never delivered, and Ego has been searching for him ever since. He then teaches Quill to manipulate the celestial power. Colin, you've already kind of touched upon it. I don't know if you've got any more to add, but it's always one of my highlights of these episodes, villain time. Mm. How was Ego as the villain for you, and where does he sort of rank so far? See, this is another thing that, like, I don't want to say this because it feels like I'm shitting on everything all the time, but, like, it feels like MCU have struggled a bit with villains. Oh, interesting. I mean, I only say this, right, because of the two bonus episodes we've done recently, Mm -hmm. right? Because the villains, like, the villain in Spider-Man 1, uh, Green Goblin, and Doc Ock in the second one, to me, they're, like, they're miles above even Loki in the MCU wow. for me. And like, I think because again, I don't really watch any films. So I'm, at the moment, I'm only watching whatever films you <laughs> tell me to watch. <laughs> so it was like, as soon as I had that comparison of like what a villain could be in a superhero movie, mm-hmm. it sort of made me feel a little like, is there going to be one at like a big one? Is there going to be one where I'm like, this is the guy, mm-hmm. this is the guy. Cause, cause it wasn't for me in this one. The ego wasn't the guy. Yep. I remember I think it may have even been around the release of Guardians Volume 2 or maybe just before it. There was a couple of articles that did say, does Marvel have a villain problem? Oh, really? Some people picked up on it that maybe okay. they, they, you know, they're not doing as much as they could be with the villains. You know, um, and 
I don't know. I guess looking back at some previous movies, sometimes they get it really, really right. Like Zemo for me in Civil War, to me, he's top tier. And he's mm. sometimes you even question, is he a villain? I love that about him as well. Mm. But then you look back at Doctor Strange and something like that, and Kaecilius could be better. And then obviously some of the, the previous stuff really doesn't work. Like some, whatever the, 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 the that, Elf is called in Thor Dark World. Malekith. Malekith. Yeah. But I mean, like, you guys can talk on this, and I know it's a hard thing to say, but also, like, Heath Ledger as the Joker mm. is sort of like, that's, that's like, you know, that's top of the fucking charts. Mm-hmm. Do you think, is there a point throughout this franchise to where it's at now currently? Is there ever a villain that's up there on that level? I know this is, it might be a hard one to answer because I know you guys like adore everything in the MCU, but I mean, or at least re- known as being like, okay, this guy's the Joker of the MCU. He's the best villain ever. I'll let, or Rob, is that Loki? I'll let Rob take it as well. But for me, there's mm-hmm. one villain coming up soon-ish okay. that I think isn't as out there as the Joker or as much as a, a large sure. performance, but in terms yeah, of okay. what that role means, I think he's a wonderful, wonderful villain. Okay. And then right. yeah. also, there's another villain that is, for me, an all-timer. Okay, that's good. I'm excited for it then. Rob? I'd agree. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I'm trying not to... <laughs> yeah, spoilers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can read your mind, and the two that you're thinking are the, are the two that I'm thinking. Okay. Cool. Well, that's good, though. That's good to know. Yeah. Good. And Rob, I know that you're a big fan of Kurt Russell. What's it, what is it like seeing him in the MCU? Oh, I love Kurt Russell. The Thing is one of my favourite films. Oh, it is yes. my favourite horror film of all time. It's up there, isn't it? Big Trouble, Little China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoop, whoop. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like that was one of my childhood films, Big Trouble, Little China. So he was like my childhood hero. In terms nice. of the kind of films I was watching, it's like that kind of action star. So seeing him in this role where he's got that kind of, you want to trust him, even though, like Colin said, you know, yeah, of course, he is not a good dude. <laughs> the man's name is Ego. And like, <laughs> nothing good can come from him. <laughs> he's just got that Santa beard, and um, everything he says just is so charming i think that the whole stuff about him spunking over the universe isn't really as effective to me as the sort of the villaining and evil that he does to peter and his personal connection to it Mm -hmm. i don't really care about these other planets sort of having these plants blooming and going mad and stuff that stuff just feels completely separate i think it wasn't really needed but um, I, I love all the stuff with him and Peter. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. There are some great moments where they're having the you know the dialogue was, gets really deep in places. I did enjoy those moments. I'm, I'm not going to lie. When about Peter that. questions Ego why he left, mm. and he still sort of worms his way, saying, "Oh well, if I was to come back, it would be too painful." Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, he still yeah finds a way to try and almost like worm his way back into his affections just to yeah. to use him. Yeah, I love Kurt Russell too. I mean, the camera loves this man and always <laughs> has. He's a proper movie star, isn't he? And a Disney boy. And yes. He's, he started like as a child, didn't he, in Disney films? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, hmm. he's been doing this a lifetime. And you can tell he oozes charisma and likability. So, like you boys have said, immediately we kind of really like him as ego. And, you know, you'd be an idiot not to also immediately think, well, here's our villain. But, mm-hmm. you know, even when the film does eventually turn around and have him become the villain, he's still having so much fun. And it really feels like he's yeah. got relishing the chance to be in one of these sort of big, silly, fantastic superhero movies. Colin, I ask you about every single villain as well. Are we seeing Ego again? Hmm. Maybe in the boardroom. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Doing those big deals? (laughs) My first thought would be probably not, but I do feel like this talk of Celestials and, and... yeah, I feel like maybe there's something because I'm just trying to figure out a way how this does end up interlinking with the what else is going on and, and it has to be through this sort of planetary war that's gonna end up happening. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he sort of claims to be a well, a, a planet or a god or whatever the hell you want to categorize him as in this, it wouldn't surprise me, but I'm not I'm not like holding my breath and I'm I'm more than happy to never see him again as ego. But I do really like Kurt Russell. I'm not shitting on that guy. I think he's a great actor. I just want to cool. throw that out there. Let's also talk Mantis then. So a new addition to the cast, like I said, played here by Pom uh, Clementiev. Uh, a worthy addition to the team, Colin, because I think she's a guardian by the end of the film. Or was that was that character maybe a little bit too out there for your tastes? No, I liked it. I thought she was cool. I um, I liked um the relationship that she built throughout the film with um, it was with Drax, yeah. right? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was really cool. I I thought like her, that scene between her and Drax when when he's tell like he's opening up a bit. I tell you what, I said there wasn't much character development on him, but that scene mm-hmm. was was that. that was great. And yeah. and the fact that like. He's clearly out of tears for all of the pain he's had, but the minute she touches him, she starts crying the tears. Oh, like, oh, that was some good shit right yeah. there. Yeah, Beautiful I was into storytelling. Sure. Really was, really was. And I think that kind of element added to this film was 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 good. It was a nice sort of like emotional look into some of the characters mm-hmm. done well through her. And obviously what she does at the back end of the film to kind of help out in the in the scenes. Yeah, it works. Yeah. It worked for me. I, I love one of her introductory scenes as well when they're playing that game of um, her revealing everyone's deepest secrets. Yeah. And uh, she reveals <laughs> that Peter is obviously in love yeah. with Gamora and Drax is like, do me, oh, do me. Yeah, yeah. Just embarrass me. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, same to you, Rob, because the original creator of Mantis, uh, Steve Englehart, wasn't actually a massive fan of James Gunn's portrayal of Mantis here. But um, does, she, yeah. does she work in the film? She works for the film universe, yeah. She's completely different in the comics. Oh, really? Yeah. Because in the comics, she's um, she's from Earth, and she's sort of subjected to an alien race known as the Kree, who give her, mm-hmm. you know, these powers. And, and James Gunn just thought, well, we've already got someone from Earth who in this film mm-hmm. has powers. That just doesn't really interest me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great that she's lived her life as effectively like the a flea that's allowed to live on a dock i think she puts it didn't she Mm. she goes from being sort of necessary and something that's tolerated to something that's you know someone that's welcomed into a group like the guardians Mm -hmm. i think that makes much more sense than for this film and for this universe than the original sort of comic universe 
Mm. And they, they, it doesn't negate the original. No. People no. seem to think that do something different in the film and that book just erases, you know, just turns to dust mm. and you can't <laughs> access it anymore. But it's still there. Just fucking read it, mate. Just go over it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so Nebula arrives at Ego's planet and tries to kill Gamora, but the pair reach an uneasy alliance when they discover a cavern filled with skeletal remains ego reveals to quill that in his travels he planted seedlings on thousands of worlds that can terraform into new extensions of himself but only the power of two celestials can activate them to that end he impregnated countless women and hired yondu to collect the children but killed them all when they failed to access the celestial power at first, under Ego's influence, Quill fights back when Ego reveals that he gave Meredith the brain tumour that killed her due to the distraction she posed, forcing Ego to parasitically oh Jesus, draw Quill's <laughs> energy to activate the seedlings, which begin to consume every world. And so we get sort of like a nice little twist, I think, um, when we discover that the, the tumour inside of Meredith's Quill's brain was placed there by Ego. Now, I'll ask you a question I've asked a couple of times as well, Colin, and I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is going to be. <laughs> but was this too dark? This is a film about, like we said, talking raccoons and the cutest baby trees you've ever laid your eyes on. Does it tonally fit to suddenly have this twist about cancer and tumours, etc.? I mean... I I, I don't want anyone to even say this because I sound horrible, but I love that kind of dark stuff in movies. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just think that's like, it just gives you way more reasons and not like the villain. Like, because it's just, it. you know, the more you up it, the more you're going to be like, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that makes you think, fuck this guy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You killed my mother and squashed my Walkman. <laughs> yeah. Which is a line. <laughs> yeah, it is a line, yeah. And it's the that fact that Waltman is his is his mum. Yes. Effectively. Yeah. So yes. he killed her twice. Mm-hmm. It's just um That's a lovely Do you think do you think that's too dark? Do you do you guys think it's no. too dark doing that? No, I think I think the moment lands perfectly. I think mm. that it, it it all works in that scene so much and uh, I think it's one of the highlights of the film. It's one of the the one of the more um memorable moments of the film as well so same to you then rob because it is quite a tonal shift this suddenly mm. the inclusion of ego killing meredith could he maybe still be as effective as a villain without that moment or is it needed it's definitely needed mm. it's what you need to sort of see that he doesn't think in any way shape or form like a human he's completely alien to yeah. to peter and it's like you know that he's got to go because of it and i remember it kind of upsets me that collie doesn't get to see things in the cinema Hmm. or i didn't see him at the time because i remember sitting and when that bit happened the screen we're in was like a vacuum everyone just breathed in (gasps) and you could sense it everyone was like fuck you just (laughs) yeah i need to to be that i need to be around those moments that's what i need Mm, we're getting there because it was powerful shit. Everyone in the room was like, knew what that meant for the character and was in. Yes. You know, mm. and um, I think it was brilliant. Yeah. And, but I think there's a bit earlier in the film that I was watching it at this time and I thought, oh, Colin's going to be rubbing his knees to this. <laughs> when, um, <laughs> 
when they are ejecting all the ravagers mm-hmm. out to space and you just see him slowly like his face slowly turned to bloody ice <laughs> pretty messed up and then there's oh, like yes. a there's like a sea of them I was like, well, this is a Disney film. Yeah, that that was a good bit, actually. I did uh, think, well, Colin's loving it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the five. We finally got the five. <laughs> what did you think, Colin? It was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I, 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 yeah, I had to really think about how to approach this episode. I've been thinking about it. I do it have a, a question today. for you coming up as well, Colin. Something I've just thought of. You texted us about something earlier on, and I want to know what you meant by it, but we'll get there. Okay. So mantis obviously ego's naive empath servant grows close to drax and warns him of ego's plan gamora and nebula also learn of the plan as rocket yondu groot and craglin arrive the reunited guardians travel to ego's brain at the planet's core during which yondu reveals that he kept quill to spare him from the fate of ego's other progeny as they come under attack from the Sovereign's drones, Rocket makes a bomb using the stolen batteries, which Groot then plants onto the brain. Quill fights Ego with his newfound celestial powers to distract him long enough for the other Guardians and Mantis to escape. The bomb explodes, killing Ego and disintegrating the planet. Quill loses his celestial powers soon after Ego's death, and Yondu sacrifices himself to save Quill and dies in the vacuum of space. Final battle time. Now, Colin, believe it or not, this is your 15th final battle sequence in an MCU movie. This is your 15th film. And obviously that's also not including anything we've watched for bonus episodes as well. Mm -hmm. So in terms of final battle in this film, does James Gunn keep it feeling fresh or has final battle fatigue started to hit in? I I really didn't enjoy this. This was sort of where the film completely lost me, to be mm-hmm. honest. Ego, the, the sort of... I just... I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. You guys might be able to explain it a bit more. Of what is the actual point of what Ego is trying to accomplish as, like, the end game. Because... You know, he he's a planet and he's creating these sort of eggs to try and get the second person to then help him let Smurf Jizz cover every planet in the universe. <laughs> so then he then becomes those planets. But if that's the case, then you're already a planet, mate. The universe is a big spot. You don't need to be around anyone. Just chill. Like, because once you've completed that task, all you are then is just lots of planets floating around in the universe. So... I didn't really enjoy that like because I just thought like I don't understand what the end game is here. I understand and, and I know Rob will probably talk on it a lot more is that this isn't really about that. It's, you know, it's the father-son dynamic and all of that. But it still has to make enough sense for me to care about. And then when he turns into the core and the whole, so much went on in that fight scene. Hmm. And there, there were some good moments. There were some good moments of action and stuff like that. But it kind of turned into this weird like PlayStation cutscene at times. Mm-hmm. and. And then when he's, he's, it's another face on some rocks with these weird tentacles flopping about. And like, I don't know, man, it completely lost me. Mm-hmm. That At that moment in the film was where I was like, what is going on here? Okay. Like, what is going on? And that's where I just felt like, for me, the film was just a bit of a miss. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a miss, but there was still a lot I loved about yeah. it. So then Rob, over to you. Can you help Colin out a little bit? I'm actually thinking on it and thinking... 
I'm not quite sure the film does say why he wants all those planets to be him. Okay, so maybe is it is it a next time baby? I'm not sure it's a next time mm. baby. Okay. I'm just trying to think if it is mentioned, because obviously I watched it this time with yeah, the commentary on, so I didn't really about hear it. it is, Ego doesn't actually look like Kurt Russell, does he? Sure, of course. Ego no. is literally this being. It started as an, like a brain and then it, it mm. formed into this planet and then he realised he wanted to and figure out if there was a point to life it, and then he it, went to Earth. It, it requires, it, it hurts the brain to almost think about it. That Don't think of ego as a person. Think of it as like almost like a parasite. That's how I look at it. Okay. And if so he, just, he wanted he just... to create almost like this hive mind where all mm. he wants to do is just grow and grow and grow and spread and spread and spread almost like a virus that's how i look at I, it i get that or a fucker boy yes but then but then him going and sort of searching out for for life and and what he finds on earth with uh with what's on the mum like what that that's then you're kind of blurring the line between well then he isn't just a parasite he is he emotions. because he has a he, can fall he has love. a consciousness and he's already you know what I'm saying? yeah i see it but I think he's got to do what he's got to do in order to get. Unless there's something higher above, where like if he manages to do this, it, it turns, you know, like. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, I'm not being a knob saying that. <laughs> You're not. Am I? No. Okay. No. Because if I if I am, then say I'll, I'll take no. it. Um, so I don't think you are. Any other <laughs> thought? Any thoughts on the final battle, Rob? How does it work for you? I like that it's kind of the whole planet's trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. Really, I think I those cutaways, like I say, I almost forget they're there. I don't think they're that important. Maybe they should be, mm-hmm. but I just sort of really get invested in what ego the sen- singular planet trying to kill them means for each of those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Colin said, there's a lot of fun to be had. The the sovereign just acts like a almost like a sort of commentary on the the horde sort of army that we get in Avengers films. Mm-hmm. So they're literally not there. No. They're all just behind a computer screen somewhere else, mm-hmm. which I think is quite a funny touch. But they really are just there to be, like, annoying and in the way while they're trying to achieve all these different goals. Yeah. Like another obstacle. I love the whole section with Baby Groot and the button and wow. the bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And how that pays off the earlier joke of them trying to get him to get the oh, um, the great. fin. Yeah, so the funny. moment where he comes back with a severed thumb, <laughs> and they do yeah. not want to ask any questions, is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and the funny. sorry, this is going off what you were talking about. But where he puts the Ravager badge, he's like, no, oh, I'm on not his that. Head. <laughs> yeah. he's like, he thinks you want him to wear it as a hat. <laughs> Oh, see, that's what I mean. There were so many good moments in this film. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. So, yeah, this final sequence, I do really enjoy it. I think there's a lot of good character moments. It does feel a bit like a mad scramble to get back to that ship, essentially, mm-hmm. to blow up the place and get to the ship. And that can feel a bit messy and a bit like, what the fuck am I looking at? Mm-hmm. So I agree with Colin there, but I do love it I all. liked the. I like the... Um... The sort of mechanical firing balls that are on the mm. ship, and they kind of move around and, and create these. It's like a mining ship, isn't it? 
Yeah, like that that was really nice. Yep. Some of those moments were cool. There's so many moments in this final battle sequence that I do really, really love. You, you get the very similar to the Avengers style shot of all of our heroes standing in a circle, the big mm-hmm. epic music <laughs> as the camera revolves around, and then something just comes flying through the air and knocks Mantis yeah, in the face. Yeah, what the hell was that? God knows. <laughs> and, but then it's, and then it just sort of... <laughs> it's the half second after it knocks her out. Drax is like, Mantis, look out! Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, like Rob said... Uh. The the baby group bit with the bomb, absolutely brilliant. I love the dialogue. They actually used this little scene, Colin, even though it's in the final battle sequence, I think as the first trailer of the film. It was just that scene wow. of, um, you know, I am good. I am good. Mm. I am good. No, and stuff like that. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. But even the conversation after that of, um, does anyone have any, you know, tape for the death button? I love that. And that Quill cool, flies yeah. off and you just hear him off screen. <laughs> I think it's... Drax, do you have any tape? Oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, scotch tape would work. Well, then why ask if yeah. scotch tape would work if you don't have any? Yeah. Brilliant. Um, then we get the, the Mary Poppins y'all scene. Um, great. And, and the, the second use of Fleetwood Max, the chain in that sequence as well, mm-hmm. that really, really works for me um, as yeah. well. Ow, my nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Just Drax's chafing nipples. <laughs> I like as well that whole thing with the scotch tape and all that stuff further solidifies that it's not about the battle. Right. Yeah, there's all these sovereign ships they're fighting off and all this stuff going on outside of that little nook where Rocket's telling him about the bomb. Mm-hmm. But you like that opening sequence with this massive space battle they're happening and you're just watching group dance. It's all about yeah. the smaller character yeah. moments, yeah. I think. That kind of shows you what the film is, yeah. doesn't it? The battles it? Yeah. in the background, we focus on our guardians. Mm. Yeah, I completely Yeah, I, I really love it. I love when um, Peter, they're in the ship and like, Rocket's like, you're so messed up. And he's like, of course I'm messed up. That's my freaking dad. Noodly space braid. So then, Colin, we didn't get you glassy-eyed at all during Yondu's death scene? Oh, 100%, mate. This is the closest I've come. Oh! I got close. Dude, I said yeah, I was gutted. Okay, cool. Yondu's the man in this film. I was, I was, I was pretty gutted. And but mm. it, that fr- from that point on, it, I was in, enjoying it. Like I thought they did that whole send off for him really well. Yes, let's get on mm. to the send off. So, having reconciled with Gamora, Nebula still chooses to leave and resume her quest to kill Thanos by herself. The Guardians hold a funeral for Yondu, which Kraglin and dozens of Ravager ships attend, acknowledging Yondu's sacrifice and accepting him as a Ravager again. During the funeral, Gamora admits maybe she does love Peter and they become a couple, and we end the film with Rocket watching the funeral as a tear rolls down his cheek. Personally, Christ, what an emotional last few minutes, and I think there's quite Mm. a few things to unpack as well. Where do we start? I think for me, strangely, one of the things that affects me the most here, and I'll be honest, on our rewatch for this podcast, it did make me cry, is Kraglin's reaction to watching all of the Ravagers come back for Yondu's funeral. It's such like a raw and almost feral Mm -hmm. reaction. And for me, it's beautiful. Um, So, Hmm. Colin, yeah, your thoughts on these last few rather emotional moments. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to disagree with you there, mate. They they were definitely emotional. It's an, it's another thing that made me realise that I must be actually getting into mm. these a little bit because normally that wouldn't really it would kind of go over my head a yeah. bit. It might also just be that it's done in a very very good way, like from a filmmaker's point mm-hmm. of view. So it's done its job there. 
I think for me, just the moment of that shot, like uh, bird's eye view shot of him, and they're putting the the cloth over his mm-hmm. over his eyes, like you know that was. That was where you're like, oh man, this is mm-hmm. this is going to be a, a deep scene to take. I mean, they, obviously, they start <laughs> Starts rubbing his knees. <laughs> yeah, those knees are going. Yeah. Um, With the inclusion oh. of obviously father and son as well, the song which is um, it works wonderfully. And uh, to you, Rob, I know you're just as soppy as me. Hmm. Yeah, I, it gets me. I was getting sort of goosebumps even on this rewatch from the moment when. Um, Rocket says not without you, and yeah. he, he, he's already he's got that connection because he sees himself in in Yondu, and he that does, really yeah. works. And that whole thing when he's like, he said, "Welcome to the Guardians of the Galaxy," but he didn't say freaking. Oh, I love that bit. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that was good. Um, everything like the the death scene as well is really well done. I think Chris Pratt's best performance. Mm-hmm. He's he's acting in that moment is so real he's so frustrated as you. well isn't he mm, and yondu just patting mm. him on the side of the face and it gives this little smile and like the commentary <laughs> audio commentary fact is this just a second one i was gonna say it's been yeah quite it's not been many quiet i'll be honest yeah i've just been sort of uh <laughs> sitting back and enjoying the chat <laughs> Yeah, James Gunn said, and he sort of, that that smile that Yondu does is his favourite bit. Oh. It's such a little mm. moment. Mm. But then he sort of made the point of saying, <clears throat> yeah, you see Yondu, or even Michael Rooker as a whole, in role, you see him smiling when he's laughing, mm. normally maniacally, but do you see him smile like he does yeah. in that moment? Very rarely, if you do. He's got the beautiful um, line as well, isn't he? I think it's quite famous now. Um, he may have been your father boy, but he wasn't your daddy. Yeah. Really wonderful. Really, really good. And I'll get into why the um, certain elements of that end scene get me emotional when we come to my ranking. But um, Oh. Okay. Yeah. I love it. There's so many nice bits. I love when they're having the send-off and... We get an I am Groot. And he said, like, he did call you Twig. <laughs> it's so lovely. Because <laughs> it's the kind of thing I am suddenly thinking about today. It's the kind of thing my son would say. <laughs> you know, like, go, there's not aware that someone's died and something mad is going on, something big and adult and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. some, the, as big and complex as someone passing away, would say something like, oh, they used to hmm. call me Sport or whatever. Like, they would just say, like, something like, oh, are you. They were nice. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like a very baby or child or toddler thing mm. to say, like, he mm. called me Twig. <laughs> While all this other bad stuff's going on. Yeah. It's just really good. Quill sharing music with Groot as well. Yeah. And Yondu's music. Yes, of course. So it's effectively, you know, he, the first film's about his mum sharing music with him and now he's sharing it with mm. a baby that he yeah. is part of a family with. It all works. Yeah, it's, it's very, very the rocket good. stuff really gets me. Um, so yeah. it's very, very brave and completely unorthodox for us to end one of these superhero films with one of our heroes almost looking at the camera and crying. And mm-hmm. you've touched on it, Rob, in that he he definitely can kind of saw himself in Yondu as well. And it's yeah. just um, 
it chokes me up uh, talking about it as well. Oh God, I'm such a geek. Um, just like he's a bloody <laughs> CGI raccoon. And he's it's looking out the window and it. he says the line, um, they still came, uh, even though he was mean and yelled at them a lot. And just <laughs> as soon as, you know, as you're thinking, actually, who's he talking about here? He then helps us out and he says, and he stole batteries he didn't need. Um, absolutely beautiful. But then we, mm. we get a, a, a lovely little laugh in that scene as well of Mantis looking at the Ravager funeral and all the fireworks and she says it's beautiful. And we suddenly, what we think is a bit of character growth from Drax as he comes to her and says, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so are you on the inside. <laughs> it's, um, I prefer a woman with more meat on her boat. <laughs> just thinking about being intimate with you. <laughs> uh, he definitely had some of the funniest moments oh, in this one, so do you not think? Tracks. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, the, that last, that last bit, that last shot. I don't want I get worried about saying this sort of stuff because I think it's going to put Colin off what we got coming up. But personally for me, it's, probably one of my favorite endings of 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 an mcu film Mm. it's up there top three at least yeah like you say his realization of he didn't chase them away yeah and that he they're still there he's got that family is a a brilliant moment to end on Mm -hmm. i I was the same with ant-man they ended on just a family all together i i I like that rather than Mm -hmm. it being some big bombastic sort of the planets exploded let's have a big star wars like celebration for him and give him medals no i liked that it was this even that you know quill and gamora didn't kiss Mm -hmm. no they don't like james gunn talked about it on the audio commentary Mm -hmm. facts that he purposefully went against his instinct to have that there Mm. that is something a bit deeper than that a bit something more you know unspoken course as he as he said i think it's uh an amazing ending yeah love it uh boys any final thoughts or anything i've missed that you want to go through there is a little something george and i'm a bit upset that i missed it i've let myself down oh no (laughs) let our fans down (laughs) and i've let a certain man down excelsior (laughs) stan lee baby he was he was a big thing in this wasn't he mm. so there's been a long-running fan theory that um stanley's reason he appears all these different characters is because he is like a god in the and i think in the comics he's he is god <laughs> it's like the sort of a meta joke that he is like the writer mm-hmm. but they these characters that stood around and the bald guys with the white eyes they're known as watchers so what they do is observe the universe. They literally just, they can't get involved, but they just observe. And um, this is implying that Stan is like a an informant for them, telling them all this stuff that he's seen mm. as these different cameos. I thought that was a sneaky one. It's very nice. It's a good one. Yeah, it's, I like it's this a one. good one for sure. And the other thing I wanted to bring up when George played one of his infamous games in which he was saying, would you see this person being mm. in the MCU? Colin, 
Was you surprised mm. to see Stallone? <laughs> I was surprised, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was quite surprised. Um, I don't really know how necessary he was to the whole film, but it was kind of fun to see him on screen. Yondel, you killed children. <laughs> <laughs> you killed them. Uh, you, I mean, you turned them blind out because of the money. That's pretty good. <laughs> It was sort of, it was sort of more just like a like a, an extended cameo, really, weren't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you first um, notice it when he actually walked in on the film, or did you notice him in the opening credits? Whenever he first popped oh, up, okay. I noticed. It. When I think Groot's it was quite doing early his little on. dance at the beginning, it does say with Sylvester Stallone. Oh no, yeah, I did see that, and I thought, did I just see that right? <laughs> um, and then obviously, yeah, when he pops up, and then he he comes back towards the end yeah. as well, only for like a very mini scene. He did it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I wish people could see the visual yeah, of you doing he's, this. He's pulling, not, he's pulling the face whilst he's doing it. It's quite good. Yeah. Oh, Let's jump into the ratings then. So, Colin, kick off the ratings, please. What would you give this out of five? I was, you know, what I had hope earlier on, but okay, it's fine. I know. I had hope. Yeah, I had hope. We'll get there. We'll get see, there. I, I mean, I, I think even from the way that we've discussed the film throughout this this episode of the podcast like i've been agreeing with a lot of what you guys have been liking in the film mm-hmm. so it, it, it kind of really split me split me down the middle because mm-hmm. i agree with rob and you actually i agree with both of you i thought the ending was was really good and it did it did a fantastic job of like you know tugging on the old emotional heartstrings and yeah. stuff but i just can't get over some of the decisions throughout the film and and it kind of left me with a bit of like a Oh man, like it kind of felt like that film just needed a, 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 a maybe a bit longer, mm-hmm. just just to flesh it out a bit. And we haven't even really spoken about the 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 gold people where they've come up the a couple sovereign. of times. Yeah. But that whole thing was just weird. <laughs> like, but then yeah, so I'm I have no idea what I'm going to give this as a score. I think I'm just going to go. I mean, considering I would say that these guys are probably my favourite collection of characters in the MCU, I'm not going to go too low, but I think I've made myself clear that I wasn't the biggest fan of the film, so I'm going to give it a 3.5, I think. 3.5 is all right with me. Do you, interestingly, I'm thinking, I won't know, I don't think we should ask this every episode, but mm. I think of this film particularly, do you think a rewatch might change that score? I was thinking I that. definitely do. I think that when I watch all of these films, man, honestly, mm. I think to myself, I need to, if I really want to get to know how these are, I I need to watch these three or four times, or maybe yeah. not three or four, but a couple of watches. And to be honest, that is a thing that actually makes me negatively score a film because then mm. how many people that watch these films, just casually, you know, people that go to the cinema and watch mm. them, like a percentage of them are just enjoying the switch your brain off action packed bullshit. Like, you know, they're not keeping up with the story and all of the ins and outs of the MCU mm-hmm. the way you guys are. And I feel like a lot of people would probably benefit more if they rewatch these films to really get their head around all of the intricacies of the storylines and how they're all connected well, and things. And mm-hmm. to me, that's a bit of a negative. It's like, well, then they're not doing their job well enough that on the first go, you're kind of keeping up with it. I'm not saying they need to dumb them down. I just think it's like, just, just, maybe throw like 70% of it at Mm -hmm. us in a film because there's just so much. Like I wrote down some quotes from like the first 20 minutes of the film because I was going to ask you guys if these quotes meant anything. And like I can't even remember who said them now, but it was like at one point they're talking about Horns of Freedom and then they're talking about Colossus of Orgord. Like is that stuff that I should be like keeping in my brain? 
It's but kind that's of what I mean. Like, law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I'm watching these, and I'm going, and obviously because we're doing a podcast on mm. it, like I'm watching it, and I'm like trying to think. If I hear something, I'm like, right, this is going to mean something. This be... is going to mean something. Exactly, yeah. and that becomes sort of a little bit exhausting for like a two and a half hour yeah. film because. Mm. I'm, I've probably remembered, or not remembered, but I've made tons of notes on this one and I've barely even scratched them because it's clearly stuff that isn't like overly important to what we needed mm. to get out of it. So like again, that kind of has a bit of a negative impact. The way I'm consuming these films is unlike how anyone else has consumed them. Yeah. I think in the world. like, <laughs> like So I'm watching these to try mm. and be like, is this something? Is that something? Yeah. So like I'm not watching them how a lot of people probably are. Like Stacy, for instance, you know she's not fucking pausing it and writing down mm-hmm. notes about scenes when she watches these films. She just puts them on, enjoys them, and probably then goes, "Oh, I'll catch up with the next one when it yeah. comes out." So yeah, it's a strange one. That's probably why my ratings are going to be a bit all over the place. Yeah. And on a second rewatch, I'm sure most of these ratings would probably be different, which is quite interesting. I yeah. think even from what an expectations, because like yeah. with this film, a lot of people. And yourself, where they'd expect it to be more like the opening scene. And then- well, also, like, Guardians of the Galaxy 1, for me, is the top dog mm-hmm. so far. So it's like, you know, that is the one. That's I think I've given a few 4.5s, but to me, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is always at the top yep. of that. Like, it's going to take a lot to reach that. Uh, that was close to a 5. That was close <laughs> to a 5. So, mm. interesting. Very, very interesting. We, yeah, the, uh, I like it. <laughs> so uh rob your rating of guardians of the galaxy volume two i'm gonna preface this <laughs> right so that end song father and son right i mean it's obviously gonna push buttons for anyone that's had any kind of relationship with their dad positive negative or anyone who is a dad but i have a this is gonna be a tangent Right, so a while back, a few years ago, we was at a family wedding. I won't go into too many details, but there was a a member of the family who was being unkind to my mother, who really shouldn't be unkind to her because she's the kindest, most selfless person, and made a point of saying goodbye to everyone in a line of people and purposefully ignored my mum. So I've gone up to him and said, yeah, I used to look up to you. Just be a bigger person and say goodbye. That's a nice thing to do, mm-hmm. regardless of whether you mean it. Purposefully being mean, not not needed. Yeah, makes you the bad person. And after that, because there was a lot of members of my family, my father included, who were very angry at the fact that my mum has been treated this way, and didn't have such a calm reaction, and wanting to you know start a fight with this 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 member of the family obviously no no fight broke out it's a wedding everyone was on their best behavior Mm -hmm. but we was driving home and the and father and son came on i'm sat in the front seat my dad's driving and he gets halfway through the song and he just taps me on my knee says nothing and he just smiles and nods at me now james gunn does not know that (laughs) <laughs> in any way shape or form but that must have hit you hard <laughs> he taps into something universal in the theme of fatherhood and and being a son and family and the complex nature of it and the mm. complex nature of people even if that complex nature is in a raccoon and a blue dude with a mohawk yep. he taps into something really universal 
And for that reason... I give it a two. I'm giving it five. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a five. Oh, you, you stepped on that so hard. Yeah, no. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, That's amazing. That's great, man. There is that so is. much stuff in it that, like Colin said, I can't disagree with. There's stuff in it that doesn't work. But for an emotional reason, I, can't, I connect with it in such a way that, um, yeah, I have to give it a five. That's the, be- that's the beauty of all this stuff, mm. man. Hmm. I'm I'm sorry for shitting on the end of your thing then. <laughs> well, you better no, throw this trivia, mate. mate. Yeah, I was going to say, he's coming for you hard yeah. in that um, trivia. No, um, that was wonderful and you made me very glassy-eyed, Rob. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what I gave the first Guardians as a rating, and maybe that's a good thing, as I don't want it to sort of affect my score here. But I, I'm going to give this a four and a half. Um, like I said earlier, I think it's a really beautiful and personal movie in sort of like the, a disguise of a superhero sci-fi epic. Uh, it clearly means so much to James Gunn as well. And, you know, looking back, you know, 15 films ago, uh, back at Iron Man, and we're getting films like this, just this weird little two-hour things and it's why i love this podcast and it's why i love the mcu that we can get entries like this i do love this film a lot but as i've said i can kind of still see why it doesn't work for some people and i'm I'm really intrigued obviously i'm not saying do it anytime soon but it's to see colin if you ever come back to this one day with a now you know the film in terms of its context and where it goes mm. and things like that and maybe those preconceptions have gone from your mind as to whether that rating does maybe skew a little bit upwards or downwards it's interesting i think to be honest mate i think if i watched any film twice i'd probably give it different scores on mm. each go you know like you're always going to pick up on it and also my my sort of enjoyment of a movie is so so dependent on how I'm feeling, like in my day, if I've woken up feeling good or feeling yeah. bad or whatever. And like I, I find it hard to detach myself when I watch a film from the comings and goings of what's going on in my life. So sometimes I'm watching a film and I'm thinking about other yeah, things, you know, and I've got other stuff going on. And then that would then negatively impact the way I do view these mm. films. And that has 100% happened on some of these episodes. Even when I go back and mix it, I can hear, I'm like, fuck, I weren't in a good mood mm-hmm. that day. And that's clearly why I'm like picking up on all this negative yep. shit. But I would say that today is a, is a big day for me in, in this podcast. I feel like as much as I didn't give it a great score... I feel like I'm actually getting excited about this podcast, like way more excited about watching the films and also like some of the things we've been talking about mm. doing with the podcast and, and trying to like grow it bigger yep. and, and get like more of a community based around it. Cause I think there's a lot of cool stuff we can of do. Course. Hmm. The world's our oyster. So after all that, I think it's time for my blood pressure to rise a little bit. Um, <laughs> but as Rob kind of, I think he mentioned to me off pod earlier on, he was like, I bet you're going in, into this quite relaxed, aren't you? Since seeing as you're, uh, above in the You've rankings. You've got a lead going on, haven't you? So yeah. uh, mm. we shall see. It's trivia time, baby. You know too much for your own good. Now that's what I call using the old head. Go. Who's going <laughs> first? Oh, mate, you can't do this to me every time I die. <laughs> I think I went first last. Okay. So, James Gunn, when asked what was the hardest song to acquire the rights for for Volume 2, it's a very, very easy answer. It was Rob's favourite song of all time, Mr. Blue Sky by ELO. 
he thought it was actually going to be a very, very easy um, acquirement of the song because he actually, um, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, asked to use their song, Living Thing. And they agreed straight away. They got the rights, paid the rights for it. Unfortunately, the scene that he used this song in ended up on the cutting room floor for volume one. And because he's a busy man, he's got, you know, he's currently editing the film. He had to then do all the premieres and all the press junkets. He forgot to maybe let ELO know that it had been cut from the first film. So when he then contacted them again, thinking they were on very good terms and asked them for the song, he got a very quick and immediate no which then threw quite a spanner into the works. Turns out there was uh, a little bit of hurt feelings, maybe even a little bit of resentment for um, mm. them not being told or uh, that that song got dropped from the first film. Uh, so he actually ended up organising a meeting with them and pleaded slash begged and said, I need this film. I need this song. It's so important. And they said, well, what can you do to guarantee us that it's not going to get dropped again? And he said, you open the film and explained the <laughs> entire sequence that Groot would be dancing to it and things like that. He said, it's impossible to get cut. You open the film. They immediately gave him the rights and he got the film. He got the song. That's good, mm. man. It's Strong. okay. It's okay. Good. Good negotiating tactics, though, to 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 secure a sure. song like that. James James Gunn knows mm. what he's doing. You yep. don't seem that confident. No, though, George. not with that one. I struggled this week, but I'm I'm in my head too much now. I, I get I get <laughs> <laughs> you got PTSD. I, I, I panic so much. Um, but the, the 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 slight lead does comfort me somewhat. But we'll see. Yeah, Just you should be post trivia stress disorders. Yes. <laughs> So, oh, let me go. gear up. Oh, oh he's wow. stretching. He's stretching. Moves. I had some cracks and cracks. Yeah. Uh, he's getting ready. Fu- <laughs> fucking old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. According to Chris Pratt, the shooting of this film helped him in a, in a big way. Not only deal with, as George mentioned earlier, you know, his ego and perhaps dealing with his rise in stardom since the first film, but also it helped him come to the terms um, to sort of get over and try and process the death of his own father. Because although um, he had passed away, say, two years before when he was filming Jurassic World in 2014, the actor's gone on record as saying that he didn't really get a chance to, you know, stop and process Mm. the death at the time because he busy filming and you know wanting to keep everyone else you know separate from it and keep his you know one's spirits up and not let it sort of affect anyone else's work but then he said that for james gunn to write a, a film which he described as a story about fathers pratt was then able to then move on um open up wounds as necessary for certain scenes like that scene with yondu and and sort of dealing with any scene with ego and dealing with the loss of Meredith as well, like his mother in it. He said that it, it helped him acknowledge the fact that there are some, in his words, there are some wounds that can never be completely healed, such as the death of a parent. Mm. Rob's tapping into that emotional mm, side. I'd say it's, yeah. That I've, yeah. Uh, that I've, uh, I've, I've dipped into today for you guys. 
at the back end of this film. And uh... I think George dipped a little bit in time, DB. <laughs> I don't. I don't rely on manipulation tactics on my trivia. Oh, keep going. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> He's rubbing his knees. Uh, right, George, what did you think about Rob's trivia? This uh, I thought it was good. Was it trivia? Was it a story? Mm-hmm. You decide. Well, I would say that if you know the IMDb listing of George's, it oh. definitely read more as a story when George told it. There's, there's a few sort of embellishments there. Okay, uh, I've made. I already made my mind up. I just like seeing you Thanks, two go, uh, go at each other. Um, Rob gets okay. the point. Yes, Rob, in your face, face Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I'll oh, allow it, George. You need to start really like enjoying this victory more because you're in like you're living in an anxious mindset. Yes, you're ahead. I know. And Rob's just pulled it back, and he's like he's got the confidence going on his side. I don't know what's going Enjoy on, it, man. I know. Enjoy the, it. I'm living in the present. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a shrink got the power now I'm a shrink's wet dream aren't I I'm in the lead and I'm just oh. having panics <laughs> okay yes no Rob I'll give that to you it was good I tried to you know play that manipulation card but just to distract Colin but it didn't work so mine was on IMDB as well <laughs> <laughs> brilliant a bit uh, further down uh, thank you so much everyone for listening um if you haven't already obviously please review or rate the podcast wherever you listen to it and if you review us after listening to this specific episode then maybe at the end of your review put what song you'd put in your own guardians inspired playlist colin here we go again mm. yeah what are we doing next haven't even, th- haven't even had the chance to think do that far ahead with this film today stay in space do we head back down to earth what do you want to do i'm honestly a little bit worried about for what's next just for oh. what's next because yeah this phase has been a bit weird for me interesting yeah i'm, I'm just thinking now because you're saying this is like the phase, phase the phase we're in now is sort of like the one before the no, big this head. is the last phase it's a longer phase. The others were about six. Oh, okay, okay, I think okay, phase okay. one was six. Maybe phase two was as well. This bigger. Oh, okay, okay. Because don't I'm you worry, think, we're not oh, wrapping we're it get... up just yet. Okay, okay. That's where I was getting a little worried because I'm thinking if we've only got like five or six films, we're already free into this, so. right? Into so, this phase. Um, Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians. Okay, okay. So there's still some time. So maybe I'm not quite as worried then. But I have no idea. I mean, we haven't had, we haven't had a new the new Spider Man yet because I've got to try and think back to yeah. what they're trying to mm-hmm. do here because I don't think I think we are moving away from from Guardians and and sort of at least this part of the universe maybe a thought I don't mm. know mate I have no idea. Well, we are heading back to Earth next, specifically New York City, as we watch Spider Man Homecoming. Colin, say bye. Goodbye. Rob, say bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends.
is a, a series of credit sequences, shall we say. So I'm not going to do Jesus. them all individually. I'm just going to talk through them all, and then we can just pick apart what we want. I think there's about five or six. There's five. Five. James Gunn was having far too much fun with this one. So in mid and post credit scenes, first we have Kraglin takes up Yondu's telekinetic arrow and control Finn and um, stabs Drax. We have the Ravager leader, Stakar O'Gord, reuniting with some ex-teammates. I think it's about time that we, we form a team <laughs> again. Like the good old days. Aisha. I'm sorry, Sly. Uh, if you are listening, I'm a big fan. We love you. <laughs> Aisha creates a new artificial being with whom she plans to destroy the Guardians, naming him Adam. Groot has now grown into a teenager, and a group of uninterested watchers abandon their informant who is discussing his experiences on Earth. Colin, any of those you particularly enjoyed? I think the one I liked the most probably would have been the group. Mm -hmm. Seeing him sort of growing up so you know that in the next instalment or when he pops up next, he's going to be sort of on a different... Yeah, so are you looking at this now the same way you looked at it last when you saw Baby Groot and you were like, I don't know if I'm looking forward to that. So Mm. we obviously end with the big titles as well. The Guardians will return. And so... Yep. I kind of think that you're on the right lines there that when we do see them next, it will be Teenage Groot. Are you looking forward to Teenage Groot? I'm going to say yes, because I wasn't looking forward to Baby Groot and they, they did a a really good job mm. of him um, in this one. So I'm I'm up for it, man. Groot, I'm on Team yeah. Groot. And um, like I said... The rest of them, uh, I mean, obviously Adam's going to be big because you even mentioned He wanted to he use was Adam to Warlock. Um, Warlock, didn't okay, yeah. use him in this film, but he's clearly being set up. Yes, um, mm, next Rob, time, yeah. ne- next time, Definitely. baby. Rob, any thoughts on any of these sequences? Sequences, sequences, sequences. <laughs> they are good fun, really. They're not meant to I'd... sort of. Apart from the Adam Warlock one, none of them are really yeah. like, oh shit, they're doing that next. <laughs> they're, they're good, good fun, and the credits themselves are absolutely riddled with um, good bits of fun. Mm. For instance, I'm going to bust out my trumpet. Audio commentary. Facts. There it is. Got there eventually. (laughs) I was just hoping you wasn't going to step on it. Um, So (laughs) I thought I'd give you a chance to interrupt. (laughs) on a five as well. A five. <laughs> I know. After that, after story. all that backstory. Oh, man, we got like, me glassy eyed as well. You did. Rob. You did. I, just, I still f- fought back the tears you to interrupt your all eyes. Over him, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the end credits. There's a smattering of cool things. Certain titles of like sections like VFX or whatever will we'll say, "I am Groot," and then be translated to that heading. Mm-hmm. There's also, at the end of the credits, it says, no raccoons or tree creatures were harmed during the making of this movie. The same cannot be said of handlers of raccoons and tree creatures. (laughs) And the other uh, bit of trivia was Gunn's parents. They had a cameo during all the earth mayhem with the Smurf spunk. Um, They're in a car (laughs) um, trying to escape, yeah, 
all going on, as is Peter Quill's granddad from the opening of the first yes. film. Um, but would you like to know what James Gunn uh, credited his parents as? Go on. So his dad was credited as weird old man, <laughs> and his <laughs> mum was credited as weird old man's mistress, <laughs> <laughs> which apparently she found very amusing. Good. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, um, I think my favourite there is, to be honest, um, it's very easy to make me laugh. It's when Craglin stabs Drax. Okay. That has me in hysterics every single time. I, d- I, I didn't like having the series of them. No? I didn't like having hmm. five in there. Nah, I just think... Well, like... You don't get that again. You're, I think you're safe oh, okay. for now. Okay, yeah. cool. Did you know um, Stallone's crew... There are some famous faces within, because they were all characters that are original Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. Um, so the little robot head was voiced by Miley Cyrus. Hmm. The dude with the ice head, uh, Martin yep. X, I think the character's called, was played by Michael Rosenbaum, who was, he played Lex Luthor in Smallville. Hmm. Apparently yep. he's a very good friend of James Gunn, and he actually auditioned for Star-Lord as well. Hmm. So he got uh, eventually got brought into the fold. Michelle, is it Yo? Yeah. I'm not sure how you pronounce her surname, but she was recently in uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and she's a Hong Kong movie legend. She was in, in that moment. I'm not sure who played the weird dragon thing, if anyone. Mm. But yeah, there's some little cameos hidden in mm. that moment there as well. Yeah, for sure. So, yes, um, we will see you all next episode in New York. Colin, apprehensive? Because I know you quite be like you said on our last bonus episode, Toby Maguire is your Spider-Man. He is. And you've already seen Tom Holland in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we feeling? A little bit nervous, a little more excited to see um, Tom Holland's take on the role and to see him join the world of the MCU? I am excited because I know, the little I do know about the Marvel world is I know that he's gone down well, or at least from the small sort of you know things that I hear out there. Mm-hmm. I think he's gone down very well as a, as the new sort of Spider-Man. But Tobey Maguire's my Spider-Man, so he's going to have to do mm-hmm. something. Challenge accepted. Tune in next week, everyone, and stay safe, stay well, stay nerdy. <laughs>